0: In terms of conflict and conflict resolution, breath is the foundation of our, our sense of self, our sense of well-being, our ability to connect with each other.
1: of Banana. Hello. How things? Good, thank you. It's
2: good to be back.
1: Yeah, back talking about Fight, Flight and Freeze. Fight, Flight and Freeze 2. Sequels are often worse than the originals, but I don't think this one's gonna be. No. No, I think this one is gonna add in a very meaningful way to the original, in the sense that we are going to do in this episode what we like doing best in our episodes, which is give practical advice or at least attempt to. Yes. (laughs) 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 Argue attempt to is probably more accurate, but yeah. We certainly are gonna attempt that. Yeah. So what did Bella just say? She said it was all about the breath. All about the breath, baby. That's basically the takeaway from this episode. So if you feel like you know everything about breath, then Mm -hmm. you can turn off.
2: (laughs) You probably don't need to
1: listen (laughs) (laughs) Just don't. But I would argue that you don't know everything about breath and that you should stick with us. Yeah, I think so.
2: You might just learn a small fun fact, if nothing else.
1: So Bella's going to talk to us about breath work. What is breath work? Why is it useful? How can we do it? Yeah. Bella's also going to run us through a couple of breathing exercises. So if while you're listening to this, you have the capacity to put down what you're doing. If you're driving, please keep driving. But (laughs) otherwise, I'm sure there's another exception. But, you know, maybe you want to do some breathing exercises. Bella's going to run us through just one or two. Yeah. So get ready for some interactive joy. Let's go. Let's go.
2: Hey, we're Eggshells, the podcast exploring disagreement and how to do it better. We ask how we can make difficult conversations easier to have by exploring solutions to the challenges we all face when
0: having them. I I would recommend breath work to every single person on the planet. And I would also say that there is absolutely no one, two or three better types of breath work than any other. So one kind of breath work I call conscious breathing. We can do it right now. You just notice your breath coming in and you notice your breath going out without changing it. And you can do that once a day, a thousand times a day that's breath work, you're breathing, and you're noticing your breath. And that might be a brilliant first practice. I try and do it. I try and do it more and more when I'm eating, slow me down. So I'm not inhaling my food, which I wouldn't recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Don't inhale food. And then you have other kinds of breath work or pranayama practices, which are ancient. And there's a million videos on YouTube to show you some very simple kinds of Practices where you are controlling the breath. And that doesn't have to be super strong. That can just be, we can do it now. We're just gonna breathe in for four and breathe out for four through your nose or your mouth. So I'll count. So breathing in for one, two, three, four. Breathing out for four, three, two, one. So something like that could be very useful If you are someone who experiences anxiety because you're just you are balancing the in and the out I think that's what breathwork does can can do very very quickly coming back into a place of harmony
1: I'm really interested in how we can connect or how you in your life connect this wonderful uh, work that you do for yourself with other people and perhaps within conflicts I mean I was uh, thinking relating it back to your family, you notice that you guys react differently to stress or conflict. Have you found that, and the answer is, I'm perfectly happy if the answer is no, but have you found that, that breath work changes your relationship at all in, in that particular environment? Definitely,
0: definitely, so much. I think, and it works on a few different levels. This is where the breath is the key. Because so much of our autonomic system, we don't have direct control over. So, for example, if I said, can you both speed up your heart rate now? You might be able to think some thoughts that are maybe a bit either triggering. And you might be able to find a way round to make your heart go faster. But we can't directly, as far as I know, increase our heart rate. Similarly, I can't say, can you just stop? digesting your breakfast lizzie could you just hold that just hold it just five minutes i've been digesting it (laughs) quite noisily on this on
1: this recording i really hope that it's not been picking that up
0: so the great thing about the breath is that it's both voluntary and involuntary which means that thankfully it's involuntary because we can go to sleep and not wake up dead we're still breathing and we've been breathing since the moment we were born and our body's need to survive will override us holding our breath. So we can hold our breath as long as we physically can, but our body will override that and we will take a breath to survive. It's also voluntary. I can also say, okay, women, could you breathe in with me? Take a deep breath in, hold it, and then take a breath out. Oh, let it go. Okay, so we just intercepted it. We've been breathing this whole podcast. But we can also, but we are also taking moments where we're actually stepping in and saying, no, I'm going to control it.
1: I just want to take a moment for what she just said about breathing being a process that we can intercept, that we can stop. Right. Because especially when she said about my digestive system, I was like, damn, I can't stop digesting. (laughs) You know, that's a really good point. Yeah. That breathing is something... And it's a, it's a good, useful point for this because I think it relates back to what we were saying in the previous episode about the fight, flight, and freeze response being something that kicks in before we've even perceived and been able to process yeah. the threat. Mm-hmm. So if we want to then change our response to something, the response has already started. You know, it's already happening. So we don't have the ability to decide whether or not to respond, but we have the ability to intercept the response.
2: Yeah. If we've
1: eaten something and we're digesting it, we don't have the ability to be like, I am going to stop digesting this, no. No you know? <laughs> we've just, we've got to roll with it. Yeah. We've got to push through. But we can intercept our activated sympathetic nervous response. With the breath. Yeah. What say you? Did you think that was cool? I
2: thought that was really cool. And it gives us more onus over controlling, like, you know, maybe our breathing, has got a bit fluttery if we're nervous for example but then we have the power to stop that and take a deep breath and calm it down and hopefully by practicing that that will come more naturally yes and it will get easier
1: yeah you'll program it into your body to be a more automatic response yeah to your already automatic response yeah (laughs) just creating more automatic responses yeah i mean that's essentially what habit forming is isn't it yeah basically muscle memory
2: yeah all of that stuff
1: exactly all of that stuff we're just trying to override (laughs) some reptilian parts of ourselves that we no longer require yeah okay so we're going to hear more from bella she's going to go on to talk about mechanics and i knew we talked about the polyvagal theory last time yes let's get into it
0: So when we do diaphragmatic breathing, sometimes known as belly breathing, there's a big, big difference between tightening your belly. And I'm not going to do it now. But imagine I take lots of very quick breaths into my upper chest. I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like it. No. But can, you, you, you might well have had a time in your life where that's happened. I mean, if, you're, if you've ever experienced a panic attack or something similar, you will have been breathing very probably high up in your chest and quite quickly. Now, what what that is doing, that is firing up the fight-flight response. It's flooding your body with cortisol, which is the stress hormone, with adrenaline, preparing you to, as I said, get out of danger. As soon as we breathe into our bellies, or we do that diaphragmatic breathing, which is where the diaphragm moves up and down, we're communicating to our brain, we're actually communicating via our body to our brain that I'm safe, because if I'm under threat, I'm not gonna have time to take slow breaths. Similarly, I'm not gonna have time to sing or to have long extended phrases. I'm just gonna need to get out of there. So the vagus nerve, it's worth also knowing, because I only found this out recently, that it is 80% afferent, which means that it's 80% communicating from the body. So from let's say the lungs and the heart up to the brain and 20% from the brain to the body. Mm -hmm. So when we change our breathing, we are communicating directly to the brain. You can stop emitting lots and lots of hormones because I'm safe now. So, just by extending the out breath, <laughs> I'm not going too fast here. So, when we breathe in, it's a very small, but it's a slight sympathetic stimulation. So, every in breath, our heart goes slightly faster, and every out breath mm-hmm. is a down regulator. And it's only happening very, you know, on a very small scale. But actually, when we start to work with the breath, and extend the breath. If we're feeling stressed out, you've probably seen people do this in life or in films, saying just, just, can you breathe out for 10 seconds? Let's just try it now. So we can take a breath in and then nine, 10, And you can, you can continue doing that. So you're not going to pass out. But what you're doing, you are directly communicating to your brain, that I am safe. So usually, after three of those, someone who is stressed out will feel, again, either a little bit or significantly more calm and more present. You've probably seen people who are really worked up whether it's a panic attack or whether they're crying and the, the, the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if someone's in that state if you can just get them to breathe out don't worry too much about the in-breath so, so often if if someone's in this state they can't breathe in anymore because yeah. they're full of breath if you go breathe out and if you if you can help someone just do that you know you don't have to be a trained therapist but that that is a lifeline for someone who is in that state and it's always available. There's actually a book called if in doubt, breathe out, which is brilliant. It refers to the accent method, but elongating the out breath and then releasing the belly and repeat that. You can do that three times. You can do it for 10 minutes. Another reason why singing is so great because we're extending the out breath, right? Instead of just the out breath being, I'm extending it over a whole phrase. Is it a coincidence that all the major religions in the world all use some kind of chanting or singing. Is that a coincidence? Probably not, because it feels good, because it calms you and brings you in a place of, of compassion and engagement and being here-ness. And that's just the breath. We're in control of our breath all the time. And any one of those exercises, whether it's counting the breath in, counting the breath out, it's, it's bringing us back into a state of, okay, I am in control because I, I can control my breathing, therefore I'm here. I'm not at the mercy of, I'm not at the top of the sea being chucked around on the surface. I can actually be at the bottom of the sea where everything's calm and I'm in control.
2: God, I, I loved what she was saying there about the out-breath Mm-hmm. And it was such a clear method mm-hmm.
1: of calming yourself down. Yeah. Breathe out. That's what we love, isn't it? Practical takeaways. If yeah. in doubt, breathe out.
2: Maybe we should show note that book she mentioned. Definitely. As
1: well. And illegally adopt that as a catchphrase yeah. without copyright permissions. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I yeah. Can do that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Just a really cool bit of information, isn't it? Just yeah. go for it. Breathe out. And, you know, makes sense. Again, rooted in science. If a tiny in breath is a tiny sympathetic stimulation, then the out breath is a down regulator. I didn't know that. No. Well, very cool.
2: But when now we do know. I know. All of that knowledge that we're gathering,
1: <laughs> <laughs> bit by bit, understanding. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Bella's going to tell us more stuff. One of the things she's going to talk about, actually, in the next section is Wim Hof breathing. Okay. So because she touched on just then when she was talking about chanting in religions, how, again, the outbreath can bring us to a place of compassion, that social engagement place when she was talking about the traffic light system in the first episode.
2: The parasympathetic
1: state. Yes. So she's going to go on to talk more about compassion and empathy and achieving those things. And she's gonna talk about them slightly in context of the Wim Hof breathing method. And she, actually Bex, who works on this podcast with us, was the first person who introduced me to the concept of the Wim Hof breathing method, but Bell's was the second one. And in case y'all haven't heard of it, or have literally no idea what it is, I took the liberty of Googling it and I hopped right onto Wim Hof's website, (laughs) <laughs> What's funny about this is I didn't realise he's a, he's a guy and he's called Wim Hof.
2: Yeah. That's is. his
1: name, Hannah. I mean, I knew that that was I his didn't name. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's the Wim Hof breathing method. But he's called Wim Hof, like Mr. Hof. <laughs> that's actually his name.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's his name. So that makes me want to say it differently than I want to be like, Wim Hof breathing method. I don't know. <laughs> I just... It didn't exactly blow my mind. And then I saw a picture of him and was like,
2: oh, uh,
1: awesome. So anyway, Wim, we're going to be on first name terms now. Yeah, of course. Wim has three powerful pillars to his method. And what are those pillars? To quote his homepage. Those pillars are, one, breathing. So breathing. Yeah. Breath retention, I think, is an important part of the Wim Hof method two cold therapy he says the cold is your warm friend (laughs) i don't really know what that means and i don't really want to find out honestly but (laughs) um the third pillar is commitment to the first two pillars so you work on your breathing and then you undergo cold therapy and you commit to repeating those things forming a habit Yeah. Now, you and I haven't tried the Wim Hof method yet. Yet being the key word. Yet being the key word, because we we should challenge ourselves to do it. We should. Especially because we're both so apprehensive about pillar two. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that we try it because Bex has suggested it and now Bella's going to suggest it.
2: And also, I think it's important to say I have at least two other friends who, even if they haven't specifically done Wim Hof, they have done kind of cold therapy, cold exposure, cold showers, and they love it. Really? They said it makes them feel really,
1: really great. Oh, God. All right. Okay, let's hear Bella talk about yeah. it before we, get too, <laughs> before we get too far ahead of ourselves. I'm aware we're now going off down like a Wim Hof tangent. Yeah. Anyway, Bella's going to talk about compassion in the context of the Wim Hof method. Great. <laughs>
0: I think I I can be much more empathic now, meaning that I'm not just seeing the world from my point of view and either desperate to get my point across or to defend myself. And I, I can find moments, even in heated conflict, where I can, if I can find that moment to breathe and feel compassion for this person and feel love for this person, even if I don't know them very well and even if I feel like they're being, you know, out of order or offensive, if I can have one moment of seeing their body in front of me and realizing that they're a human too then there's a small hope that I might be able to listen a little more take a breath and there's a chance that we're going to make some progress rather than just you know being at loggerheads is that a saying I don't think I've ever said it out loud but I've heard it oh it's a saying oh for sure and I think so as well as the empathy it makes me think of the Wim Hof breathing which is (laughs) it sounds funny you're deliberately putting yourself in a state of discomfort and sitting in it. And I think that applies to yoga as well in that when we're moving and breathing, we are putting ourselves in sometimes quite full power or strenuous, you know, strong positions and breathing through it. And I think it was maybe Ayenga who said, that moment where you want to come out of the pose is exactly the moment you stay in it. And it's that sitting in discomfort, but knowing that you're safe, which is a very important part of it. You know, I'm not being forced, I'm choosing to stay here. And whether that's with breath retention, which is the Wim Hof method, it's a very interesting moment when you do the Wim Hof breathing. He always says, go with the feeling. So don't go with how long you can hold your breath. It's not about numbers. And I made that mistake. I got into the habit of getting into the numbers. And then I realized like, oh God, that's the opposite. It's actually, what am I noticing in my body? Where can I feel? You know, we talk about feeling energy, which again, sounds a bit out there, but actually, you know, you can, energy is, takes the form of heat, tingling, lightness, heaven, you know, like energy is just feeling stuff in your body. And there's this moment where you retain the breath in the Wim Hof method. And I think I heard this on a podcast when I very first heard him speak. And he said, there's a moment where your body wants to take the breath and see if you can move past that. So it's not becoming super tight and, you know, (laughs) desperately trying to get to your three minutes or whatever it is, but noticing I can see this moment where my body goes, I'm going to, I need a breath. I need a breath. And it, goes to take the breath and if if I can with love go no it passes and it'll come back in like 10 or 15 seconds again and then then I breathe and then you go through this like three or four times I'm sure some of your listeners are going to be like this sounds like hell why would you do this and it's if, if that's your response then I then probably don't do this but I have had as I said after doing this a few times in a safe, warm, held space where I know that I'm not going to be interrupted, that the feeling after doing it, there's something about sitting in that discomfort and then being okay that shows my body again and again that discomfort is, oh, is fine. And I I am held. And it's not going to last forever. And I think that's where resilience really comes in. Because, you know, if we're always looking for not just pleasure but if everything has to be okay all the time then of course as soon as I get challenged I'm gonna freak out and try and make it okay again.
1: Discomfort is fine that's revolutionary (laughs) don't you think? (laughs) Yeah like seriously think about what that actually means yeah
2: it's just it's okay which just is, sit with a bit of discomfort.
1: Yeah, I just. I mean, I've yeah, I've got some stuff going on at the moment with my personal life, like my work life, mostly my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm not very comfortable in it, honestly.
2: Yeah.
1: And it it's just really nice for Bella to say that today. Yeah. <laughs> because. That is the like sort of the definition of resilience, isn't it? Yes. Is being able to move, sit in discomfort and move through it.
2: Yeah, let it move through you yeah, and let it process. Too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
2: it's allowing it to happen mm. um, rather than trying to do everything you can to get
1: away from the discomfort. Yeah, which I just think is so relevant to disagreement, exactly how you just said it just there.
2: Mm-hmm
1: if you're just doing everything you can to smooth things over or everything you can to fix it or everything you can to get away from the situation or make the other person be quiet or make Mm -hmm. yourself be more quiet so that less shit erupts. Yeah. Then we're not achieving anything. We're not ultimately going to feel better. Well, growth doesn't happen, does it? no, exactly. Oh, (laughs) growth. And like, therefore,
2: you can't move forward And you can't really learn anything from the other person. You can't really learn anything about yourself because you're just sort of squashing
1: it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: Whereas if you allow the discomfort to be in the air and you sit with it, something's going to happen at some point. Yeah. It's not going to stay there forever.
1: Yeah. And this is where disagreement, you know, benefits goes both ways, right?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: If we learn as a society to disagree well with one another, then we all benefit because things get done rather than polarised political elements just stall each other until there's no forward movement. Yeah. And as an individual you benefit because you have a growth moment and everyone benefits from growth. Yeah. So she's a genius she's a genius so is Wim Hof we're gonna try it aren't we we are we're gonna
2: have to make that commitment
1: yeah to try it we'll check back in with you about that (laughs) okay I've got one more thing to share with you today and that's a final word from David excellent okay here we go
3: Hannah, Hannah, Hannah I spring. hope that sort of gets towards yeah. the thing you were poking at, with that sense of the fight-flight, the disagreement, oh, yeah. the guttural reaction. Yeah. Is a, I guess, again, I would want to take it to a higher place by going, oh, okay, this is a baser reaction, a base reaction which I should fully engage with because it informs my humanity, and yet I am more than my base reactions. So, yeah. I can be romantic about it and trying to then take it to a place of democracy and storytelling and truth. But I know that deep down I am also responding off that stuff. So I, I guess I just hope I can understand myself in those moments well enough to go, "Ooh, OK, just a bit of a breath moment. And so I, I probably I get very embarrassed when I start the fight or flight moment because I probably hold myself in a regard of going like, no, David, you're better than this. You're not gonna just fight or fly. You're gonna try and become the full human who you really are. When actually, sometimes I do just wanna turn around to somebody and go, sorry, what did you just say? David telling it like it is. I just wanted to put
1: that in there because I think it's really important that Basically, I think that a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today and maybe even in the previous Fight, Flight and Freeze episode might seem a bit much. Yeah, it's a lot. It's quite a lot. And people might not want to stop in the middle of an argument to take a massive outbreath. Yeah. (laughs) Because that might make you feel embarrassed. And also, I
2: think it's important to say that, like, a lot of it is not something that you just, like, learn overnight how to do. Like Bella has been doing breath work for a long time.
1: Yeah, for years.
2: And she has cultivated a practice. So I think, like, a lot of the stuff we've spoken about over these two episodes, but mostly in this one, is like stuff that you have to practice and it takes time.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And if you can just remember some quite simple things, like if in doubt, breathe out, our new catchphrase, or just that basic breath work of like noticing you're breathing. Yeah. Those things, so long as you remember to do them, don't require a lot of practice mm-hmm. and can be really, really useful in an argument. Yes. I just really liked what David was saying about how he kind of doesn't want to have to use those things. Yeah. He kind of just wants to be more in control yeah. of his fight, flight and freeze response than he actually is. Yeah. And he finds that kind of belittling. Yeah. And that's just important to bring up because... It's not a weakness to need a tool to help us deal with a situation. Yeah. It's just not. It, we're, we're just human and all we're trying to do at the end of the. If you want to improve a situation and someone gives you a tool to improve the situation and you decide not to use it, the only person you're hurting really in that situation is yourself. Yeah. And arguably those around you if you can't deal with your own fight-flight response. Yeah. But that ultimately does go back to hurting yourself. So... yeah. I just thought that was really cool of David to be really honest and be like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to to run away all the time or want to, you know, he's like, sorry, what did you say? He wants to fight a bit, whatever. And that's fine. That's totally fine. But so long as he realises that he could also take Mm. a breath and have more control over that response.
2: Yeah. And it's also totally human to not be the higher being, you know.
1: That's the point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The option's there for all of us. So... That's fight, flight and freeze. Good, eh? Great. Yeah.
2: Yeah, really useful. Do you think we're ready now to, what to happen- go out and practice those techniques? Definitely. <laughs> it's going to look for some conflict. Yeah. Um, but we have made a commitment to do the Wim Hof breathing. That's true. So we are going to...
1: So we'll do that. Report back.
2: Report back on our findings.
1: Yeah. findings. <laughs> <laughs> such a scientific experiment you know? yeah <laughs> um, anyway thanks for coming on the fight flight freeze journey with me Hannah mm-hmm. thank you what have you learned from today's episode what's the takeaway come on there's an obvious one Don't... I've said it like a hundred times <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay Lizzie now the pressure's really <laughs> <up> on <laughs> and I'm like god what's the really obvious one that she's just said
1: <laughs> fuck it's discomfort obvious... is fine that was a great one that's fantastic.
2: Discomfort is fine. That is a, yeah. Sit with the discomfort.
1: Yeah. You're right. It's part of the process. That's very good. That's a very good one. You. If in doubt, breathe out. <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs> okay. All right. Love you. Love
0: you. I can feel it, in those conversations, I can feel the stab in my belly and that's a good signal. I can feel the, the shivery or the shakiness. I can feel things happening, which is always the first sign that, okay, okay, I now need to draw upon some of the things that I've learned rather than just charge straight head on into a collision. If I can just feel my body, then maybe I can remember to breathe, remember to breathe, remember to breathe, remember to breathe. Remember to
1: breathe. That was Eggshells, If you liked that episode, then tune in to others about how to disagree better by visiting our website or searching for us on your podcast provider. Please like this podcast on Apple, give it a five-star review, and tell all your friends about it. Support for independent podcasts like ours is vital, and we hugely appreciate it. If you fancy getting in touch, we're at helloeggshells at gmail.com, and we love a chat. Eggshells is hosted by me, Lizzie Bourne, and Hannah Leach. Our sound designer is Andreas Petru, and our music is by Willard Hill and Andreas Petru. Big thank you to Bex Arthur and Marcella Terabla, as well as all the beautiful guests featured on today's podcast. See you soon.